Ladies and gentlemen, cows, pigs, ducks, snakes, duck-footed goofballs, welcome to Death Metal... Greetings. Hey. Glad to see you. Yeah. Glad you made it. Wow, you guys got here. You you took a car. You drove. Uh, all the way to this drive-in podcast theater. Yeah, you used your GPS. You probably snuck a couple friends in through the trunk. And a couple beers. And y'all are going to fuck, probably, most likely. And a couple caps of heroin. Oh, what's a cap? Sometimes people put dope in fucking Yeah, yeah, capsules. but like, what's the measurement? Uh, I don't really know. No. But you're going to the stars. Yeah, or a nice warm pit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I always heard the heroin, you just sink into like a fucking place. Yeah, it's itchy though. Uh, opiates make me itch as well. Man, I'm I super, could never I'm super alert get on, to, on board with them because yeah. of that. Yeah. Do you remember when we were going to train and I was sore and yeah. we used to drive about 40 minutes to go train? Yeah. And uh, got into, just opened my, I was living with my grandparents. Was I living with my grandparents or we were just over there? Mm. I think we were just over there. Yeah, maybe. And I opened their medicine cabinet, pulled out a bottle of ibuprofen. Yep. Took four of them, like I normally would. You mm-hmm. know, most ibuprofens are 200 milligrams, 800 milligrams, the regular dose of ibuprofen for a large boy like me. Yeah. And uh, I drove a stick shift car at the time, a little piece of shit Saturn. Uh, you couldn't drive at all. No, I wouldn't. I didn't have a license. Yeah, but you, you, but you had no idea how to drive a stick shift. No. And about 25 minutes or so into the drive, it just hit me all of a sudden yeah. that uh, something had gone wrong. Mm-hmm. I was feeling nauseous, really lightheaded, so blacking out a little bit, falling asleep. Yeah. And uh, I think I went off the road a couple of times and you're like, hey, man, wake up. You're just tired. What's going on? It's like, uh, something's wrong, man. Yeah. We probably we probably just need to turn around, you know, go back, and then we went back, and I went back to my grandparents' house and fell asleep for like three days. Yeah, and then when I woke up, I was straight dope sick. Yeah, sick as fuck. I didn't know I was dope sick at the time, you know, just yeah. like itchy, irritable, sweating, shaking, barfing, yeah. fucking going through hell. <sighs> and then, uh. You know, we were trying to figure out, like, my grandparents were really worried because they had tried to wake me up and shit. Like, why the fuck are you at our house for so long? Yeah. And uh, I was trying to think back at, like, what I had done, like, eating and shit. Like, I don't know what could have caused me to be that sick. And then I was going through the day and I was like, yeah, I just, like, went in your medicine cabinet and I took ibuprofen and then we headed off. I didn't eat much that day. And he, like, went to look in the medicine cabinet and he was like, that, like, my great... My great aunt Pete had just passed away mm-hmm. for whatever fucking reason. She stuck all of her Oxycontins into an oh. ibuprofen bottle. And I, I took like, uh, they were like, what? They were, they were orange. What's like a, like a high dose of Oxycontin? Like, like two milligram pill. I don't know, man, but I mean, I'm highly alert. I mean, my grandpa gave me a, Oh, I've got five. It was like probably on death's doorstep and just, yeah, you know, he, like, slipped away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like, I don't know about Lucky. I kind of wish I would have gone. That would have mm-hmm. been a sweet way to just slip off. Man, uh, my grandpa gave me one of those because he, he was like prescribed them, but I had my fuck my back up real bad. I could hardly walk, but I had to work. And he gave me one, and then I called him and was like, hey. 
<laughs> I can't drive home and I can't work right now. I don't feel right. And he got to my ex-girlfriend's house and laid in their front yard <laughs> and fucking like cold sweats, all that shit. And she oh, shows yeah. back up for work and is like, hey, what are you doing out here? And it was cold as fuck outside. And I was like, man, I don't know. I'm real hot. And, <laughs> and I was like, had no shirt on. <laughs> it was in my underwear, just yeah. fucking laying out there. I was like, oh, man. And then uh, it's like, yeah, man, that's that shit's stronger than heroin. Yeah. Most most heroin people like a, a fucking oxy, man. Way more than heroin. Yeah, it costs more, though, right? That's like the problem. Yeah, but it's that people like a, start using pain pills and yeah. then they get slipped away. And uh, all right, let's not talk about the depressive side of yeah. society. Let's talk once again about old Jack Parsons. Yeah. Last week, we basically went over the earlier life of Jack, how he went into boyhood, got interested in rocket sciences, and messed with the occult a little bit. Yeah. This week is where we going to get freaky. You know what I'm saying? Jack Parsons had been into the occult from an early age. We talked about how he used to read pulp magazines, saw quite a few exotic erotic stories that dealt with the devil, werewolves, you know, the sort of things that are on the edge of occultism. Yeah. Who better for Jack Parsons to cross paths with than old fuck my butt magic himself, Aleister Crowley? Yeah, that guy, he's a pounder. He loved. It. He was just a sex addict, man. Yeah, for sure. He's an all-around addict. And now listen, if you're not familiar with the occult, uh, we're going to catch up to speed here in just a minute. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen magic spelled with a K, it's not like magic, M-A-G-I-C, is like David Copperfield. Illusions. People lure your kids out to the van. Yeah, what's fun? It's fun. Uh, Magic with a K just stands for butt fucking. When you see that spelled out, you know an ass is bound to get fucked. Oh, it's getting brutalized. So this week we're going to talk about... This is going to end up being a three-part series. Uh And this week we're going to talk about how Jack Parsons got to essentially be the head of Aleister Crowley's cult... And also very successful in the rocket sciences mm-hmm. at the same time. Very interesting trajectory. We got a lot of really good feedback last week. I was worried because I worry about everything I do. Yeah. I don't want to put out a bad product. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit off the beaten path for us. So I appreciate the positive feedback we got. I'm glad you guys were interested in that. I am too. It's been blowing me the fuck away. Yeah, that's crazy. I uh, can't believe that this is a chapter of legitimate American history. Yeah. And before we get into that, we'll do our fucking commercial spiel uh thank you for the itunes reviews this week we appreciate those as always if you haven't done that yet and you like this podcast it's something that just will greatly long term help us out yeah easy to do you just get on itunes give us a five-star review type anything into the comments we love it uh love to read positive feedback on any form of social media we've got a fun facebook group you can just look up death metal dicks under groups on facebook Find us. We'll add you to it. A lot of goofy security questions on there just to keep the spam out. So don't even worry about answering them. Yeah. Uh, well, we love you just for listening. That's very helpful. If you really like what we're doing, you're a big fan, you can always get on patreon.com backslash death metal dicks. Uh, we've got people that have been helping us out immensely. I'll just knock that off at the top of the show right now because we love you guys so much. And month yep. after month. As we do more shit, that little bit of money that everyone kicks in totals up and really helps us pay 
our dues to get the podcast on the air. So we appreciate very much. Uh, I forgot to say Ash Rude like the last two weeks because I'm dumb as fuck. Yeah. And we've got new ones and it's hard to remember. Well, we really should probably should start writing it down, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I used to. But yeah. then I memorized it and just skipped over it. So, yeah. And then we had uh, Lacey. Yep. What's her last name? Oh, fuck. That's okay. <laughs> You'll find it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to uh, knock all this off at the top of the podcast because this shit... Goes hard, and I don't want to deviate from the subject. And you Lacey guys, Doyle. Lacey Doyle. Yeah, that's right, man. Yep. Um, Ripping. Lacey, thanks for being a new patron. And we got old school heads like Matt Mess, Bobby Henderson, uh, like I said, Ash Rude, Ryan Parker. Uh, there's been advertisements coming in on our fucking podcast from Podbean. Yeah. If those are really annoying to you guys, let us know. But they, like, kick us a little bit of cash for that, so... Do they? Okay. I mean, I think so. It says they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Emma Long is a brand new patron. Uh, sent us a really sweet message that made me feel great last week. Um, she is turning 25 on the 18th of September. So happy. Birthday. Yeah, from us. You really mean it. Thanks for the uh, the note you sent me. That was really sweet. And, uh, you know, we're going through a shit time ourselves. So yeah, we happens. all relate. Yeah. And we're glad that you found us. Glad that we get to hang out together. You know what I'm talking about? We're fucking traveling on this toilet bowl. Fucking all going <laughs> down the flusher. But hey, you know, the point is, is that anything that you've done to help us is spectacular. We appreciate it so much. Uh, I, I love you just for listening. You know, we put a lot of labor into this podcast. So we hope you do enjoy it. We're glad you're here. We're going to have a good time this week yeah. talking about the fucking occult. You know what I mean? It's very, it's always been interesting to me. Yeah. Um, that's something when you hear about the occult from a young age, like all you can think about is devil worship. Yeah. Which is out in the middle of the woods, uh, getting smashed by goats and flying around with yeah. their knockers hanging out. You know what I'm saying? Which is awesome. Yeah, that's something that's I like cool. to see. The movie The Witch, you know? Yeah. I would love to just bump into that. Yeah, man. That'd be... Every young man's fantasy, you know? It, yeah, you want to taste the butter? <laughs> man, churn me. Yeah, man, I love that shit. When that devil fucking asks her if she wants to taste the butter, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> is it honey butter? Uh, probably, man. Definitely. Yeah. That's where she wants to live deliciously. Man. Oh, honey butter, the Coltons, you know? That's probably what it, That's how Coltons got founded, was fucking... The devil? The devil had honey butter to offer to yeah. the ladies. Dude, those fucking rolls at a Colton, any of those, all those steakhouses have honey butter. Yeah. I think out, does Outback? No, but they do got a chocolate dip you can stick that bread in now. What? You just get it? You just asking for it, I guess. <laughs> I was notified oh my about God. it last night. Who told you? Uh, Seth. Buddy Seth. He's like, hey, you can just get chocolate shit to dip it in, hot chocolate to dip it in. I was like, what the hell? Of course, he would know about that, you know? Yeah. It's like, how come I didn't know about that? I mean, I haven't been to Outback in a long time. Hey, real shit, I'm not a chain restaurant man myself, but yeah. as far as chain restaurants go that have like a steak, dude, the Outback Outback's is pretty good, fucking man. rocking. It's not bad. Not bad at all. Chocolate dipped bread. Yeah, you know what else is not bad is the goddamn occults. And uh, the most interesting thing about this to me is you'll know from listening last week. If you haven't, you do have to go back. You're going to be lost if you don't because this is a complicated, true series of events. The, nothing here is fabricated. It's all fact. It's all confirmed. It's uh, one of the weirdest parts of American history. Uh, Jack and Helen Parsons had recently been married. They were introduced to Thelema by a, a literal brother and sister. I say literal because, you know, 
Like in a church, you'd be like, oh, this is Brother David and Sister yeah. Sharon. Uh, John and Francis Baxter brought them in. Now, part of being a full member of the Church of Thelema, uh, you had to recruit people actively. And another thing that was super crazy about the church to me is that they had a tr- like actual church on Winona Boulevard in Hollywood, like basically right in the middle of downtown Hollywood yeah. at this time, which it just seems like that's a really repressive time in America. Yeah. The 20s. Yeah. You know, it's not, or I guess we're in the 30s now. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about like on the cusp of World War II. When was World War II? I 1944. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the cusp of World War II. World War One has already happened. Uh, I mean, with tight economy, we had gone through the Great Depression. Like, religion reigns. There's not mass media. Yep. So, it's a really weird space for Aleister Crowley to have an operation in America. Yeah. With members in a physical building. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... And uh, what, what, what they saw first when they went is a Gnostic Mass. Yeah. Which was like their church service. They did it once a week. Uh, it seems like an elaborate production. I'm going to kind of go through mainly what it was. I mean, I, I've, I feel like most people our age and younger have had some experience in a church. You know, uh, like you're, you're, if you didn't, if you weren't for, like me and Buddy were both forced to go to Baptist church. Yeah. Basically our entire youth. You know what I'm yes. saying? Uh, I mean, I, I was forced to go to church until I was like 11. Yeah, I mean Wednesdays morning, oh, Wednesday, like, some Wednesday, or Monday morning, oh, shit, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Yep, had to go. Also, on top of that, when you get to hit puberty, I just went jerked in those bathrooms, man. Yeah, we know. You've talked about that on here a bunch. It's uh, one of the more despicable things I've ever heard. Is that with no fucking care for anyone else in your community, you would jerk off into the publicly used hymnals and just leave it there. I was thinking about coming on God's face, so whatever. <laughs> I'm doing, that makes it okay. I'm doing everybody a favor. Yeah, all right. It's like you, nobody did anything for you to be born, <laughs> and you're going to know what comes like for the first time. Oh, man. What? I feel like you made it worse. It's just cheesecake. <laughs> okay, man. Uh, Alistair Crowley wrote the Gnostic Mass. He was the author. Technically, it was called Liber XV or Book 15. In 1913, while traveling in Moscow, Russia, the structure is similar to the mass of the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, communicating the principles of Crowley's Thelema. It is a central rite of Ordo Temple Orientis, and its ecclesiastical arm, Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica. The ceremony calls for five officers, a priest, a priestess, a deacon and two acolytes called children through uh, the end of the ritual culminates in consummation of the Eucharist consisting of a goblet of wine and a cake of light after which the congregant proclaims there is no part of me that is not of the gods. Uh, Crowley basically says uh, in his, he calls his biography, his confession, which I hate, you know, Uh I, it's disgusting. <laughs> and also to call it that is gross too. Yeah. Uh, he says, while dealing with the subject, I may as well outline its scope completely. Human nature demands, in the case of most people, the satisfaction of the religious instinct and, to very many, 
this may be done by ceremonial means. I wish therefore to construct a ritual through which people might enter into ecstasy as they always have done under the influence of appropriate ritual. In recent years there has been an increasing failure to attain this object because the established cult shook their intellectual convictions and outraged their common sense. Thus their minds criticized their enthusiasm. They are unable to consummate the union of their individual souls with the universal soul as a bridegroom would consummate his marriage if his love were constantly reminded that its assumptions were intellectually absurd. Basically, um, he wants to give people the comfort. I mean, you know, this is the 1920s that he did this in. I mean, he wrote it in 1913. So... People are used to going to church, is what he's saying. Yeah. They like church. And there's also not shit to do, you yeah. know, so it's, it's church is tight. Um, it's it's the same reason why people come to our fucking gym and talk instead of lift weights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just socializing. Uh, inside of the temple, there's four main pieces of furniture in a Gnostic mass. The high altar, which has to be seven feet long by 44 inches wide um, by three feet high it's covered with a crimson cloth it is situated in the east or in the direction of the Bolskine house crowley's former estate Boleskine the, house. okay i'm sorry that's yeah. fine no you can correct me you're the one who knows about this shit yeah Boleskine house how do you get that out of that no, you just, just heard someone say it before i guess yeah man jimmy fucking page bought that shit and, yeah oh yeah, you know, yeah 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 a lot of people died supposedly just disappeared they don't even know what the fuck happened well, they were fucked to death, for sure. Oh, yeah. Somewhere <laughs> to Loch Ness Monster came and fucked them. Yeah, yeah, that was on the shores of Loch Ness in Scotland. The two-tiered super altar sits on top of the high altar. It all holds 22 candles, the steel of revealing, the book of the law, the cup, and two bunches of roses. There is room for the paten and the priestess to sit. The high altar is contained within a great veil and sits on a dais with three steps. On either side the high of the high altar are two pillars, counterchanged in black and white. Then there's the altar of incense. I wanted to say incest, which is very applicable here. <laughs> to the west of the dais is a black altar made of superimposed cubes. There's the font. This is a small circular item which is able to contain or hold water. And then there is the tomb. This is generally a small enclosing space with an entrance that entrance that is covered by a veil. It should be big enough to hold the priest, deacon, and the two children. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how much do you want to go into what the ceremony consists of? So it's relevant. I mean, some, I mean, some of it comes yeah. up when like Parsons is building his house and shit. Um, there's basically a fucking. Six components to ceremonies within the Gnostic Mass. There's the ceremony of the Intriot. The congregation enters the temple. The deacon presents the law of Thelema, and the Gnostic Creed is recited. The priestess and the children enter from a side room. The priestess raises the priest from his tomb, then purifies, consecrates, robes, and crowns him. The ceremony of rending the veil comes next. The priestess is enthroned at the high altar and the veil is closed. The priest circumambulates the temple and he ascends to the veil. 
The officers give their orations, including the calendar by the deacon. The priest opens the veil and kneels at the high altar. The collects 11 prayers addressed to the sun, moon, Lord, lady, Gnostic saints, earth, principles, birth, marriage, death, and the end. Uh, the consecration of elements and the preparation of the Eucharist. Then they do their anthem. Uh, yeah, I'll skip the anthem, but you know, it's basically what they were doing is going to church. You know, they have this fucking, when you hear the word ritual, it sounds like you're rolling up on a fucking bonfire with candles and robed people and they're cutting open a goat. Now, interestingly enough, the cult does get into some animal sacrifice and that's going to come up later. Um, you know, if you are, you know, the thing with Jack is that he grew up religious, and we were talking about that in the first episode. And again, that's Alistair's principle, is that if you grew up in the church, you're going to feel weird when you come away from it, which <clears throat> my whole point on Alistair Crowley is a lot of people have always considered him to be a super smart, which he is, but he's also, you know, as much as any cult leader, you know, L. Ron Hubbard, Billy Graham... Anyone who's good at running a church and making money, he's definitely doing that. He wants money from people. He's got ways at making money. So he has to have structure set up where people are used to putting money in. Uh, Buddy, I feel like, knows way more about Thelema than me. So I'm going to just turn it over to him and let him school your ass on what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm going to trust you to talk. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's... there's like 11 principles uh, when you when Thelema comes into practice, but basically just the just to water it down because it, it, there's not really any point going into everything. But it's like uh, you know the the term that is coined by Alistair Crowley is uh, is you know my will should be the whole of the law, and that's individual will. So like whatever you're gonna do, whatever you think your will is, be good at it. But also, like, appreciate everybody else's will, even if you don't like them. You know, it's kind of that forgiveness bullshit. Yeah. But really what it comes down to is you, you're you trying to make yourself stronger through these rituals. And anybody from an atheist to whatever's accepted, a lot of people just do this as, like, do the, the rituals as, like, a, a, you know, dramatic play on their life to make things seem bigger than they are. So they believe in them, you know, a lot like LeVay and Satanism, you know, where they, yeah. they don't even believe in it. But then it also goes to things such as like the, you know, they, they use a lot of Egyptian uh, practice and things like that. There's even talks about how, uh, Alistair had summoned a, a being into this world, uh, uh, Lom or Iowas, one of the two, but you know, it looks like a gray alien, you know, like this, they, they think that, uh, now did he, Bring them to the planet by getting fucked by a man. Uh, hey, use sexual ma- sex magic. You know, a lot of times. You know, he likes you to know go to, that he took a guy, and fucked him a young strongman. Well, vice versa. Yeah, man. Uh, gave them a bunch of fucking psychedelics. Yeah, and then you know, like the culmination of his ceremonies were always to open up his last chakra, which was him getting fucked in the ass. Yeah, by like an attractive young man. No, he's committed. Yeah. And uh, basically made the guy do it, and the and then nothing happened. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, and and you know it's like a he he was a world traveler. I mean, the dude had a trust fund, so he was able to go to these different places and do all this wild shit. But uh, when you talk about ayahuasca or lom, you know, lom means uh, 
in Tibetan it means path. That's why you have the Dalai Lama. You know, that's that's one of the things. Uh, but it's like this. Ah, uh, uh, you sir. Yeah, this is fucking some weird shit. But really, what all it comes down to is just fucking. You yeah, know, you have a ritual full of people, and if you're a, a bisexual dude that will fuck a cat or whatever else, man, you'll fucking <laughs> that's bisexual yeah. cat fucking. Yeah, I mean, I guess it means two. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it means everything, man. That dude, that dude. Well, actually, he described himself as a pansexual. You yeah, know, that's a popular term right now. But yeah, he's the OG. Yeah, he's the OG. I mean, that dude would fuck anything. Yeah, most definitely. Especially if it had to do with magical practices, aka gum. Yeah, you know? that's again, once again, when you see the K, butt fucking. That's what yeah. it is. Uh, and Parsons was already familiar with Aleister Crowley because, like I said, he was into the occult. Uh, he knew what the OTO was, and he was just hooked on this shit after going to mass. And then he read Crowley's book, Conks on Pax. And he thought that uh, that really meant a lot to him for whatever fucking reason, even though he's a smart-ass guy. Uh, Parsons kept coming to church, and he met Jane Wolfe, John Carradine, who was a Hollywood actor, Wolford Talbert Smith, who was a founding Thelemite, and uh, big deal in this church. And going to be a big deal in the story. And whenever we talk about Aleister Crowley, he's going to be a huge figure in Aleister Crowley's life. And the guy was super weird, you know, uh, Smith. Parsons said about him that he was both repulsed and attracted to him. Huh. It's a weird way. That's kind of how I feel about you. Yeah. Like, uh, you're my best friend. Yeah. But uh, you also disgust me. Yeah. Over the course of a year, Jack Parsons went off and uh, did a deep dive into Aleister Crowley's works. Read every piece of literature he could find about him. Started going to church like every other week. Encouraged Helen to join the church and read the books. What's super funny about all this to me is that the guy's a rocket scientist. Yeah. I mean, he's a definite genius. Mm -hmm. You know, like we learned in the first episode, he's essentially self-taught. Yeah. So he's as smart as a person can get. You know, he's got natural instinct. He's uh, book learned. Yeah. He's just a fucking super genius. Yeah. I mean, especially at this place in the world. He's, he would basically like the 1930s version of Steve Jobs. Yeah. I mean, knew it all. Could mm -hmm. get anything done. And he fucking came to believe that Thelemic magic was real. And he could explain why Thelemic magic worked through quantum physics. Yeah. What? <laughs> I mean, the quantum physics is something neither one of us understands. No, sure. definitely not. But I, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck it is. Yeah. I don't know what quantum means. Yeah. Uh, Jack Parsons tried to bring science fiction writers Jack Williamson, Cleve Cartmill by inviting them to one of the weekly Gnostic masses. Didn't work out. Yeah. He was able to bring on future OTO leader Grady Lewis McMurdy, his wife, and Helen's sister, Sarah Betty Northrup, who would play a huge role in the creation of Dianetics in the future. Yep. Bringing people in was a requirement to join. So after they had done all this in February of 1941, Jack and Helen were initiated into the Agape Lodge. Is it agape or agape? Agape. Oh, that's what I thought. Uh, Parsons made... Agape is what happened to <laughs> yeah, that's Crowley's what, ass. That's what I was wondering. It's like, it, it seems like it shouldn't be agape, yeah. but they're also having so much weird sex, like maybe it is. He's you know? pushing out uh, the brain from fucking Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Krang? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, it's got that pink sock just yeah. flipping out. Oh, my God. It looks like a brain, man. Yeah. Have you ever seen people... What if you can think with your ass? <laughs> <laughs> you get fucked so hard, your brain fucking transfers. You stimulate my brain. This is where everything's going on, Ed. <laughs> oh, man. You call a dick your brain stem? <laughs> oh. uh, Parsons has made his personal motto, Thelema obitinum pratu amorous napite, which... Uh, I probably totally butchered, but it means in English, the establishment of Thelema through the rituals of love, a.k.a. I'm only here for the fucking. Yeah. And I got to think that that was a huge factor. You know, when I try to break it down logically, how did someone so smart get involved in this shit? Well, again, he was a fucking nerd. He married the first girl that would pay attention to him. So probably just trying to get his dick wet. Yeah. Uh, I, man, why why are these weird occult people? They always like use Latin. Like Latin is like the fucking. I mean, from what I was just reading about the rituals that they had, a lot of it was tied to modeling it after the Catholic Church, yeah. Roman Catholic Church, probably that. I guess, yeah. I mean, and then so much was modeled after what Crowley was doing, cult wise. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if it was really old, I mean, that's one of the oldest languages, I think. So. Yeah, uh, and I, know, I know like, you know, like you look at the back of the dollar bill underneath the period, it says Ordo uh, yeah. something, but it, I think it means our our, our religion or our business, one of the two is our enterprise, something like that. Mm. And then Jack adopted the Thelemic title, basically his name of the church, Freighter, T-O-P-A-N, which was an abbreviation of that phrase that he came up with, and also coincidentally said to Pan. 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 Which uh, we'll learn about, I guess, yeah. a little bit later. You know who that motherfucker is. I don't know what... I know what it is. Man, it's like I a goat guy. With horns. Yeah, it's yeah cool. he's horny as hell. Uh, his wife, Helen, became known as Soror Grimaud. Smith loved Jack. He rode with him, of course, because if you're trying to put together a legitimate fucking operation, and you get someone like this that comes in, I mean, you know it's about to pop off. Yeah. Is the MVP. Uh, he wrote to Aleister Crowley that Jack Parsons was going to be a very valuable member. He had a brilliant intellect, even more brilliant than his own. Crowley was excited. And they knew that taking in someone so smart was incredible because they're talking into something, talking him into something so dumb. Hmm. Yeah. Crowley states that Parsons is the most valuable member of the order, no doubt. While all this shit's going on, the same crew is still working on the solid fuel rocket. Yeah. As opposed to the liquid fuel rocket, which that other weirdo Goddard was working on and yeah. he didn't want to share information with them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think they're doing this out of spite a little bit because uh, they wanted to work with him. The guy didn't want to give him the time of day and they started doing their own shit and they're working hard on it. Uh, Von Karman, who was the guy that actually worked at Caltech to start with, suggests that they approach the National Academy of Sciences to fund repro- to fund research into jet propulsion. The military agrees because they are trying to figure out how to fly airplanes from tight spaces with no runway. In other words, they think that, well, I think they actually have this now. Like if you had, you know, the traditional airplane, you got to, mm-hmm. fu- even the jets that you would fly on somewhere, you got to go down a runway and then they take off and then the jets kick in. But they're thinking that if they could get a jet to go vertical, 
through jet propulsion straight up in the air and then take off, it would be incredibly valuable for them in the time of war. You know what I yeah. mean? They could get into tight spots and get out with the jet. NOS, which is uh, pre-NASA, gave the rocket, it's the National Academy of Sciences, they gave, and also Nasir Jones, the rapper, okay, gave them the Rocket Research Group $1,000 to put together a proposal on the feasibility of jet-assisted takeoff, also known as JATO, which is going to become this company's main thing at mm. this point, JATO. JATO is when you smoke a toe. <laughs> <laughs> man, you roll that jab with that toe, man. You pass it over here. Okay, well, give me a fungus now. Let me hit that JATO. Uh, this made Parsons and the Rocket Research Group the first U.S. government-sanctioned rocket research group. In the proposal, Jack Parsons claimed that he used the limic principles to perfect solid-fuel rockets with black powder Motor-propelled, multi-stage rockets. Mm -hmm. That seems fucking crazy to me. Yep. And this is at the... I don't know. Do we get to the devil's whatever the place that they're doing that at? Yeah, that's... They, I mean, they're, they're still at Caltech right now. Yeah. But, yeah, with the devil's dam area, that's yeah. like where they were doing experiments originally. Okay. Now, they'll go back there. Um... Spoiler, I guess. Doesn't matter. But, yeah, when he met... When he met... When, when they were kids... Yeah, they were going to that canyon to like shoot off rockets. Well, yeah, there there's a lot of uh, still things that supposedly happen. There's people that disappear. There's weird shit at that canyon. Yeah, uh, Caltech and the GLCIT Rocket Research Group received an additional 10k research grant off of the proposal. Hmm. Which doesn't mean like they're manufacturing things. It means that they they have the money now to do research. At this time, that's the most that they had received. One fourth of that budget immediately went to Caltech for damage that they caused with their experiments. The JATO project actually got the boot from Caltech for their loud damaging experience. So they moved back to the Aurora Seiko. All right. Arroyo. That's how you say it. Sorry. Long story short. This uh, crew built a facility in the canyon that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, they had several failures on experiments, a few successes. Ultimately, and I'm try trying to shorten this because even in three episodes, it's a lot. Yeah. All right. Um, several failures with the experiments, a few successes, ultimately gained millions in funding. And the fuel he invented... A version of that is what we use to get to the moon, allegedly. Yeah. And at this point, you know, the media is really caught on to Jack Parsons. I mean, he's attractive. He's well-spoken. Uh, he's out there. You know, he's kooky. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's He's like, if you were looking at us for a scientist, you would not think about him. So he makes it a little bit more interesting. He's like a nice package to wrap it up yeah. in. Uh, the Air Force ended up ordering 2,000 JATOs. Mm -hmm. Get you real fucked up. The, yeah, the company names itself Aerojet. Parsons basically goes from being a hands-on inventor on the floor to hiring a bunch of people to take care of that and becomes the face, the ambassador, if you will, of Aerojet. 
So it's traveling a lot, kind of spreading the word of what they're doing, trying to meet new clients. Essentially what, you know, most of the times like a b- b- booming small business. B- b- yeah, booming. I don't know. I've started stuttering, dude. I'm losing my goddamn mind. Um, what a thriving small business merging into a large business would do. He met Carl Germer, who was the head of the OTO in Washington, D.C. He met poet laureate Joseph Alessander, who helped him donate Aleister Crowley's poetry books to the Library of Congress, which is they're still currently there. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard Aleister Crowley's poetry before, but oh, let me tell you. It's great. Hauntingly beautiful. Oh. Uh, in fact, I'll give you one right now. The title of it is When Celia Farts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when Celia comes, tis earthquaketh our the bed vibrates like kettle drums. It is a grand display of power when Celia comes. When Celia farts, my hasty nose sniffs up the fragrance from her parts. Shamed are the violets and the rose when Celia farts. And up hexails a greasy stench (laughs) for which you curse the careless wench. So things which must not be expressed when plumped into reeking ohest sent up an excremental smell to taint the parts from whence they fell. The petticoats and gown perfume which waft a stink round every room. Thus, finishing his grand survey, disgusted Stephen stole away, repeating in his onerous fits, Oh, Celia, Celia, Celia shits. <laughs> man, uh, oh yeah <laughs> you what know, the fuck man? man here's the thing man it was like uh you know what shit was just talked about that's kind of cool yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to me man. that that's what this dude's poetry is like and for this fucking rocket scientist is reading this going profound yeah. incredible monumental works Man, fart is like, <laughs> that's like saying fuck back then. They're like, fart? Oh, it comes, dude. Come? Come? Man, come is wild, too. <laughs> she came hither with. I saw her bosom and her tit. <laughs> Spread her cheeks and watch her shit. Prepare your snare for a big old dick. Man, I just want to talk fucking Aleister Crowley style in rhyme about nothing forever. Man, he was a fucking the original purpose. <laughs> yeah, dude, he was just fucking being weird, dude. I mean, before Playboy, Penthouse, all that shit, you just had this fucking creep like, Oh, from breast to bung, open thine stench portal in which to fill my lung. I can taste the foul aroma upon my tongue as I lick from your scrotum until you come. Damn. <laughs> I can do this you all just night. Fucking... <laughs> Man. <laughs> Let thy hole take in thy dick and balls. And <laughs> <laughs> in your rhyme right away. Uh, no, no, man. It's like let the let thy will be the hole in the law, man. Let thy <laughs> <laughs> fucking hole. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Helen 
bailed on this whole thing for a little bit. She had to get the fuck out of there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? As soon as she heard that, she's like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this uh, is church. We got to get the fuck out. Well, I'm going know, to real church. I got to uh, fucking ask for forgiveness. And like I said, uh, financially and business wise, all the shit that Jack has dreamed of is coming true. Yeah. I mean, and, and if he's, he's crediting his association with OTO as what the tide was, the yeah. change. You know what I mean? He's like grinding away on the shit for years, which is like anything else. If you keep pushing for something, eventually you'll make it happen. Which I really think that it, man, really, it's like it's kind of the the first Satanism. Really, it's what it is. It's really just a bunch of fucking nerds being like, hey, man, if we just believe in, we don't even have to believe in this goofy shit. Yeah, but we can portray like we do, and it brings attention to us. We're successful. You know, it's like we put all this work in. It's weird, but also subconsciously you believe it to a degree. So, you're, you know, it's just like it's this. Yeah. But what's weird is the downfall that all these people have that are associated. I mean, Crowley just fucking, you know, blew up. and fucking. Well, they get too wrapped up in it, you know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, the problem to me with religion, no, not the problem, but a big problem. We talk about this over and over again. But it's like once, uh, once your spiritual thing becomes financially motivated, I, I feel like we have an issue. Yeah. Like, I mean, I really honestly don't think that if you make something that makes people feel good and do well and enjoy, I mean, you should be compensated for that, right? Maybe. Uh, I think you should. I mean, and th- there, if you're spending all your time doing that shit it's like it's a job yeah so i don't like i wouldn't have a problem with the preacher or crowley or whatever receiving like a fair salary okay yeah i get is yeah, what i'm yeah, saying yeah, so like, like let's yeah. say like in this situation uh you know thelema basically as opposed to having huge numbers like a catholic church they have a, a fair amount of people around the world but a lot of them are very successful yeah. And, you know, th- th- just successful people, even if they don't directly ask them for money, like they know there's expenses and they're yeah. putting money into it. So it's like th- th- that's happening. And if you're in charge of all of it and laying the groundwork, like, I, you know, if you were taking like 50000 a year, living modestly, no problem. So what you're saying is there's a problem whenever you're able to afford a trip to Egypt to fuck Barbara Bush's mom. Well, I mean, it yeah. becomes a problem when your main thing becomes making more money. With this, yeah. you know, when you're, when the religion that you're working for, like you have to keep in mind that the main aspect, if you're a true believer, if you're really in it for the right reasons, you're pious. Yeah. Um, you're here only for the sole benefit of the people in your congregation. And there's no reason for you to keep trying to extend your wealth. You know, there's no reason for you to have more than you need. It's just kind of going against all the principles yeah. of religion. So live, do your job, get paid for your job, live comfortably, but you shouldn't be trying to build an empire. Yeah. You know? But honestly, man, that's just human nature. It is know? human nature, but that's the thing is that religion is supposed to be the opposite of human nature. Yeah, yeah. It's Dang. supposed to be the, you're supposed to be breaking away from that. And if you're not doing it and you're the leader, it's, thing is this, it's man, a bad message. Really what's got to do with is like, yeah, you want all these people all doing all this stuff. But like, 
think about, you know, like the 60s, 70s, that's a sexual revolution. Yeah. People aren't fucking like that except for these people. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're you know? way ahead of the curve. They're fucking. And uh, like shit. I said, uh, Helen went away for a while because while all this is going on, they're getting really into the church. Um, they're staying over there a lot. They're having people come to their house a lot. Everyone's just kind of like mingling. There definitely is like weird sexual things going around. Yeah. Uh, she leaves in June 1941. And OTO, like I said, was very sexually permissive. Do as thou will. Uh, he started banging Helen's 17-year-old sister, Sarah. Uh, being 17, when Helen came back, Sarah asserted that she was now Jack's wife. Damn. And when questioned, Parson admitted that he found Sarah more sexually attractive than Helen. Conflicted, Helen sought comfort in Smith, who was an old man at the time, and they began an open relationship that lasted as long as he lived. Man, yeah. The two couples, along with about 12 other Thelemites, including the Thelemites' children, moved into a mansion where they all paid $100 a month for expenses and lived as a commune. They raised animals on a farm-type situation, slaughtered them themselves for meat, and then they would use them in blood rituals. Right on. You like that? Mm, in uh, one degree. Would you do a blood ritual for metal? Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, I would do Just that. doing it to be cool. I'm not a blood ritual. When you had fucking bled on that skull and jacked off on it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that, man. I'm trying to summon the devil, man. I wanted to see. But it... And what did you see? Coming blood on a skull. It was cool. That was cool. That was a good payoff. You sure? Yeah. Because I don't think so. You are at my wedding. You saw that thing. Yeah, but it's gross. It's cool, though. It's kind of cool, but it's like you're living a trailer. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like... <laughs> <Okay>. like <laughs> you know, like, it, like there's an aesthetic to it, but it's also in a trailer bedroom. Yeah, it's on top of my record player. Yeah, but that's where... Fucking Satan riffs happen. Yeah, but like, where is it located? On my record player. Which is located where? In the living room. Which is located in what? Where the cats and dogs live. <laughs> and uh, what is it all under the roof of? The place I live. Which is? A shithole. Uh, what type of shithole? A trailer shithole. Oh, uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> It sucks. <laughs> I really summon ants into my house. <laughs> yeah, what if that's why those ants come in, dude? I don't know, man. You fucked it all up, man, by fucking with the devil. You get all anted. Yeah. Uh, the like, they all moved into this weird mansion. Uh, Jack Parsons. This is the thing. Is uh, the sexual thing. Yeah. You gotta remember. I'm gonna say over and over. He's still a fucking dork. Yeah. Big time geek. He's fucking way more than we ever fucked. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but 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 I'm like, you know, he's in the he's 1930s. Poindexter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he decorated his room with a copy of the Steel of Revealing, which is that altar from Egypt, uh, stored. When they found the altar, it was originally stored in the Bullock Museum under the inventory number 666. Pick up sticks. <laughs> <laughs> a statue of Pan. Is the Greek god of nature, the wild, shepherd's flock, god of mountain wilds and sexuality. The guy just wants to fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And uh, to go with all that shit, he proudly displayed his collection of swords and daggers. Yeah, man. That just sounds like a fucking French horn band practice. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a fucking the coolest 14-year-old in the world's room to me. Well, well, you know, if you don't know what a French horn band practice is, it's when you fucking have a leg bent up, you take your hand (laughs) underneath the leg and pick somebody up, you put the head of the dick in your mouth, and then you shove a fist in their ass. (laughs) (laughs) And if you go out in the backyard and everybody's doing it, you got you a cool marching band. So you're physically holding the body up by your hand in their asshole. Yeah, you're. I mean, you got to get underneath a leg, put the cock in your mouth, <laughs> fucking reach around the other leg, shove a f- the one that's underhooked underneath the leg. You shove a fist up that ass. You get different tunes and tones, and you blow up the cock. Uh, <laughs> the old French horn. <laughs> yeah, man. You can imagine a fucking like group of people doing that in like a marching line, like they're in a band. <laughs> but you got that one dude that's like, "I oh, fuck that. I don't want to do the French horn. I'm doing the skin accordion." What's that? Shove a fist up a pee hole and up an ass. <laughs> a pee hole. And you fucking honk, hee, hee, honk, honk. <laughs> Oh my god! All right, buddy, your band sucks. Uh-uh. Uh, he can Slipknot. He's got ten people in that band. He converted the garage and laundry room into a chemical lab and often held sci-fi discussion meetings in the kitchen. He would entertain the kids with fairy hunts in their 25-acre garden. Uh, you can't escape Jack Parsons in this house. No, it's man. probably getting kind of annoying. His band is also called the Jack Parsons Project. <laughs> <laughs> what a shit old band, man. Is that a real band? That's a real band, dude. Oh. The Jack Parsons Project. It's like a 70s fucking psychedelic rock band. Oh, yeah, of course, man. You guys ever heard of Jack Parsons before? Yeah, man. Uh, he took a lot of acid, man. You gotta <laughs> check this shit out, dude. The fucking Jack Parsons Project is terrible, dude. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check it out. Uh, Jack Parsons wrote for the Lima no matter what. He gave almost his entire salary, which at this point was fucking high as hell, uh, to the OTO. He actively worked as like a pastor and sought out new members. He financially supported Aleister Crowley, which makes you wonder how much money Crowley actually did have. Oh. I mean, he, his, Crowley's dad was, a, I think, a Presbyterian minister. Yeah. And so whenever he died, he left him money because that's just what you oh, do. Uh, yeah. And then on top of that, man, fucking, what do you do? You know, you just fucking go do some weird shit, start a religion, and fuck people in pyramids. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that, you know, he's preying off of his fucking people to me. You know what I mean? Well, the band was called the Alan Parsons Project. Oh, I fucked that up. It's all right, man. No one cares about some weird 70s fucking psychedelic yeah, band. just sucks. <laughs> um, the Lodge began to fuck with his career. That's where we start seeing problems with Jack Parsons. You know, they would be out all night getting fucked up, taking a lot of drugs, having rituals, and he would show up at Aerojet trying to work hung the hell over. He burned all his co- all of his colleagues out by continuously inviting them to the lodge. I mean, once they came over to that house one time, like, you ain't going back. You know nah, what I'm saying? Dude. Once you see that weird shit, like a ritual. Somebody's eating my ass and another girl's <laughs> sucking yeah. my dick. Yeah, like, if you, you know, if you have an orgy one time at one place... Chances are you're not going to, like, go back. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a FedEx guy in our town. He's older, and he fucking invites different people to go to Florida at their condo to have sex. A FedEx guy? He's a cuck. Does he do this while delivering mail? No, yeah, he does. Uh, My wife told me one time that he invited her whenever she's at Spencer's and was like, hey, you should come out to this. And then my grandpa, before he passed away, knew the guy and said that he's like, this guy's 
he's a good guy, but he's into some weird shit. And I was like, <laughs> like what? He's yeah. like, they have orgies. I was like, what? Oh, that probably blew your grandpa. My grandpa away. was like, there's orgy. You know, like he just was like, people still have that shit. <laughs> yeah, I got him to admit to me that he got a blow job on his way to college one time. Yeah. Like on a bus. Yeah. Cause he was like, he told me he didn't do it one time. And then he asked me how many women I'd been with, and I told him, and he was like, that's a lot, which wasn't, you know? But, yeah. you know, he was, like, born in 1944. So, yeah, he told me that he did that, and he was, like, so fucking bummed that he told me. I was like, nah, that's cool, yeah. man. I high-fived him. Hell it was, yeah. like, three weeks before he passed away. I mean, that's tight. So, I mean, you go Good in, for him, man. Yeah, man. Your dick sucks. You confessed it. That's cool. It's not even a confession. It's like, he had man. foreskin, though, so it was cheesed, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, you're, yeah, he, he wasn't, like... <sighs> Cleaning, yeah, you could smell it when you entered. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, uh, you know Jack Parsons meant well. It's like uh, anyone who's a really strong Christian. Yeah, like when they invite you to things, they're not like the only, the main reason they're doing it is because they don't want you to go to hell. You know, no man, they believe in that wholeheartedly, or they want you to go to hell. Well, in this case, yes. Uh, but he wanted to, like, he thought, again, that all the success in his life was coming from this. So he wanted people that he knew to have the same type of success. Uh, he, he would, <clears throat> like, his boss at first had a term for him. He would call him a delightful screwball. Yeah. Uh, he kept reciting the Crowley poem, Him to Pam, which, if it was me, and I would... Him to Pam? Like, him, the, like the spring oil? Pan, I'm sorry, Pan. You say Pan? Or- <laughs> <laughs> I think I said Pam. You said Pam. <laughs> oh, as I put my meat upon thy surface. Gristle thy whistle until I come. <laughs> Let me shoot it out of Delia's bung. Yeah. I guess, yeah. That's some shit he would write. If I need to lubricate my meat from pan to plate, I reach for a can. A can of wonder. A can of things that makes you think. If I spray this upon thine hole, shall it stink? I like a knockoff. Let's just stop. I like a knockoff can meat. I don't like a spam. I like a treat. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's pretty good. Uh, if I would have been reciting one of his poems over and over again, it would have been Celia Farts for sure, dude. Oh, it's Celia. All right. Yeah, you. like how are you going to be fucking... Uh, She's a Sicilian woman. But he's going on like he's a Baptist preacher. You know what I'm saying? Just won't stop reciting over and over. You got to learn about these things. Agape Lodge eventually was investigated by the FBI and Pasadena Police Department for complaints of a black magic cult involved in sexual orgies. Then, a 16-year-old boy in- accused several members of the Temple of Rape. Oh. Which, you know, I hate to say it, but they probably haven't. Yeah, man. Neighbors reported a pregnant woman jumping through fire naked in a ritual, which definitely happened. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> Oh, look at me. She's trying to, she breaks her water and it's like, ah, everything's catching on fire. She's trying to put it out, jumping over it. Yes. Uh, And the thing about Parsons right now is, you know, again, this is a really conservative time. Um, 
like I said before, when they were teenagers, they were drinking. <laughs> Mark's watching this video of people getting piercings, and it's fucking me up, man. <laughs> At first, I was like, man, what's going to happen? I can't look away from it. It's like people getting their ears in weird places, their tongues, their fucking... He's just doing some weird fetish shit over there. And have I, you, oh, man, have you ever seen tonsil stones before? No. That's a whole new fucking portal of internet that'll fuck your life up. Yeah, well, I don't want to think about it right oh, now. I'm sending you some shit later. Really, I'll send you some shit later, then you fuck. I got uh, something for you to see. I don't want it. Okay, then fuck off. <laughs> I got to piss, man. I got diabetes. All right, go pee, and I'll work on this. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so he had been drinking and using pots for a long time. Pots? Uh, pots, yeah. When he was a kid, he was hitting the reefer, which seemed crazy to me when I was reading that and told you guys that in the first episode, that his crew of people were smoking weed in like 19-fucking-21. Seems insane. Like, you know, you hear about, which I got, I mean, I guess it makes sense because that's probably about the time that reefer madness happened. Um, but they were smoking weed. They were young college kids. But you don't really think about that being the case in America until the 1960s. What was going on with Jack as he got involved in OTO? And Aleister Crowley was a huge proponent of recreational drug use. So none of this shit is out of character for being in the occult, but for like being a fucking rocket scientist and being the face of what has become a giant corporation. Uh, here's a quote from him about what he's doing. Uh, I hate Don Quixote. I live on peyote, marijuana, morphine, and cocaine. I never knew sadness, but only a madness that burns at the heart and brain. These fucking dorks in their poems that are terrible. But however, let me say this to you. Uh, marijuana, no problem. Peyote? Some real, real, real weird shit. Morphine and cocaine together, I mean, that's like a fucking speedball. You know what I mean? Uh, you're getting fucked up. I mean, you're doing hard drugs. Shit ain't going good for you. And that's going to become a problem. It's going to become, they're both highly addictive. Um, he was doing amphetamines, which is basically, I mean, what they figured out that like Hitler was doing, for example, because that's like my reference on this for amphetamines, he's basically doing like liquid Adderall, uh, mescaline, basically anything to trip out on. I don't think LSD had been invented at this point, uh, but peyote and mescaline, real similar experience to that. Um, he was having sexual relations with multiple women, including McMurdy's fiance. That's the dude that he brought in that will be a future leader of OTO. His fiance, Claire, uh, when Parsons <clears throat> had to pay for her to get an abortion, his friend McMurdy was pissed and their friendship fucking dissolved and they're living in the house with him. So that's causing tension. Um, Crowley and Germer wanted to see Smith, that older dude, removed his head of the Agape Lodge. They believed that he had become a bad influence on their, on its members, which basically the drama that it's tied to is Smith was starting to become such a leader in that group, fucking everybody, telling all the tales, that everyone was kind of forgetting about Crowley. Um, Parsons loved him. Helen definitely loved him. Uh, that was the guy that brought him in and was the head of the their church. So Parsons and Helen wrote to Crowley and Germer to defend their mentor. Mentor Germer ordered them to stand down. Parsons was appointed as temporary head of the lodge, and some 
people that had been in the lodge longer than Parsons disliked his influence. They were basically concerned that it encouraged excessive sexual polyandry, and it was <clears throat> that was religiously detrimental. But his charismatic orations at the lodge meetings assured his popularity among the majority of followers. So Parsons soon created the Thelemite journal Orlefame, in which he published his own poetry. But Crowley was unimpressed, particularly due to Parsons' descriptions of drug use. The project was soon shelved. Basically, um, Crowley, as you heard before, is he's not a bad writer. No. Uh, he's pretty good with that shit. He makes a lot of crazy shit up and is able to flow it together well. So while Jack is way smarter than Aleister Crowley in a fucking scientific sense, yeah. uh, language-wise, Crowley runs circles around him. And he well, wasn't, I think he could present it to a, a fucking, you know, an average Joe a little bit more than a... You know, most people that are real goddamn smart are fucking crazy. Yeah. And they don't think in terms of like, hey, man, we're all on the same pathway here. Let me... Uh, if I talk to you, will you understand this? They don't get that. They're in their own world. They're going to write some shit that only makes sense to them. Yeah. He's a, He's got a Kramer cut. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got that bonkers. With the fucking, fucking hair. like a, a fucking French pastry chef mustache. Mustache, yeah. Well, that was a hot look at the time, dude. Yeah. Uh, Helen gave birth to Smith's son in April. The child was named Quinn Lanval Parsons. Smith and Helen left Quinn for, left with Quinn for a two-room cabin in Rainbow Valley in May, which is, you know, only a month after. And like I said, dude, Smith is old. People are tired of his shit. Helen Bell with him uh, concurrently in England. Crowley undertook an astrological analysis of Smith's birth chart and came to the conclusion that Smith was the incarnation of a God. Some classic cult shit greatly altering his estimation of him. Smith remained skeptical as Crowley's analysis was seemingly deliberately devised in Parsons favor encouraging Smith to step down from his role in the Agape Lounge and instructing him to take a meditative retreat. Refusing to take orders from Germer anymore, Smith resigned from the OTO. Parsons, who had, like, even though the guy just put one in his fucking wife, had remained sympathetic and friendly to Smith during the conflict and had become weary of Crowley's appalling egotism, bad taste, bad judgment, and pedanticism. Which, basically, because he took his fucking magazine away from him. He ceased Lodge activities and resigned as its head, but withdrew his resignation because Crowley wrote him a pacifying letter, basically saying, like, yo, Parsons, you're the future of this shit. Um, This is important work. You're doing a great job. I make a lot of money at this. This is something that you are going to grow into. So don't count your chickens before they hatch, basically. Yeah. By mid-1943... Aerojet was operating on an annual budget of $650,000. Think about how much motherfucking money that is in 1943. If I remember from converting for other episodes, I mean, that's fucking like, you know, $20 million. Yeah. Uh, The same year, Parsons and Vaughn Carman traveled to Norfolk, Virginia by invitation of the Navy, Frank Knox, to consult a new JATO contract for the U.S. Navy. Jados were being mass-produced for military applications. Jado propelled aircraft could not keep up 
with larger bomber planes taking off from aircraft carrier runways, which made Aerojet's industry at risk of becoming defunct. Parsons had to come up with a more efficient JATO, and he saw this issue by equipping a Grumman plane with the solid fuel units. Its assisted takeoff from the USS Charger was successful, but produced smoke containing a noxious yellow-covered residue. The Navy guaranteed Parsons a contract on the condition that the residue was removed. This led to the invention of Aeroplex, a technology for smokeless vapor trails developed by Aerojet, developed at Aerojet by Parsons. I mean, so again, this motherfucker is removed from this shit and then is able to go back in and reinvent what he's made already. I mean, it doesn't ever cease to impress me with the type of ill shit that he can do. Yeah, he's a... Uh... Genius people are fucking like that, man. They just, they can uh, take something old and make it new. Now, something that uh, so really they, helped Parsons out. What? I was like, they can take something old and make it new so they continue to screw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what he was doing. Uh, something that really helped Aerojet and especially Parsons is the fear of Nazi Germany. Uh, they became aware that Nazi Germany had developed the V-2 rocket. And, of course, the military wants to have their own rocket. And after speaking with Von Karman, based upon some research they had gotten from British intelligence, placed a renewed impetus on its own rocket research, reinstating the group, the GALCIT project, to the military project. And they got a $3 million grant to develop rocket-based weapons. The group expanded, and now he's going to switch over to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL. So the Navy is getting 20,000 JATOs a month from Aerojet. I mean, you know, I, no reason to go through like all of the fucking ins and outs of this. I think that's where it's going to get boring at. Yeah. However, the guy's making a ton of fucking cash. You know, I mean, that's a lot of money. Three million is what you said. No, um, I, it's hard to think back to that, but yeah. Wait, anything million is a lot of goddamn money. Yeah, I mean, especially back then, like, that's a lot of money now. But, you know, I mean, then that's for expenses to, like, take care of shit. But they want to have the same weapons, you know? They want yeah. to have more powerful weapons because they're going to have to fight the Nazis. Um, So, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory was a departure from Aerojet. Like, you yeah. basically went over to that. Um, and fucking... Parsons ended up handing the whole thing over because he wanted to dive deeper into religion. Yeah. So he's walking away from tons of cash. Yeah. Uh, he did sell his share out, so I'm sure he got a lot from that. Now, now that he was gone with that whole thing in for like a hobby, him and Foreman, his original friend. And what's weird is that Foreman is not involved in the OTO. Yeah. And But this is the guy that he met in grade school yeah. when he was 12. Uh, they founded the Ad Astra Engineering Company, and Parsons founded the chemical manufacturing Vulcan Powder Company. Ad Astra was subject to an FBI investigation under suspicion of espionage when security agents from the Manhattan Project, which you will know from inventing the goddamn atomic bomb, mm -hmm. discovered that Parsons and Foreman had procured a chemical used in a top-secret project for a material known only as X-Metal but they were later acquitted of any wrongdoing. Parsons continued to financially support Smith and Helen, although he asked for a divorce from her and ignored Crowley's commands by welcoming Smith back to the parsonage when he, his retreat was finished. 
So if that didn't make sense to you, the guy that knocked up his wife, he's still married to her and he's also paying for them to live. Yeah, that's cool. Is it the dude that boned your wife gets her prig? Yeah. But the husband pays for it? It's cool for the dude. Hell yeah, it is. You ain't it. You know, Parsons continued to hold OTO activities at the Parsonage, which is what the uh, the, the mansion was named. But he began, re- he began renting rooms at the house out to non-thelemites, which seems super weird. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it, this is like where everything starts to get beyond weird conspiratorially. Yeah. Because this is a mansion, uh, Thelemite family mm-hmm. is who lives here. Yep. And all they do is weird cold shit. That's it. Like, there's no normal meal. Like, they're just doing weird shit the whole time. I mean, they're growing animals out back to, to for blood sacrifice. <laughs> it's not like, it's chill. So the people that begin moving in, uh, journalist Neeson Himmel, Manhattan Project physicist Robert Cornog, and science fiction artist Louis Goldstone. Parsons attracted controversy in Pasadena for his preferred clientele. Parsonage, which is the name of the house, resident Alva Rogers recalled in a 1962 article for an occultist fanzine, and ads placed in the local paper, Jack specified that only bohemians, artists, musicians, atheists, anarchists, or any other exotic types need to apply for rooms. Any mundane soul would be unceremoniously rejected. So I guess this dude is just trying to build like an eccentric cast yeah. around himself. But it seems really weird to me that one of the chief fucking scientists from the Manhattan Project moved into the house right away. Well, the, you know, the Manhattan Project was also funded by, uh, uh, you know, New York gold laundering. Yeah. Uh, Prescott Bush, who also helped fund Hitler. Yeah, they hung out. And was, oh, he was, he was prosecuted for it and got yes. out of it. Yeah, of course he did. Um, so Manhattan Project was one of those things. But that, a lot of people don't know that there was actually a... Uh, Nazi party in New York City before World War Two. Yeah, and they would march in the streets, had swastikas, and do all this other shit. But uh, that that's a unique thing. But then also, you said Bohemians was a Bohemian Grove. Is that what we're talking, getting into? Is that a- uh, we're not doing too much of a dive into that? But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you when you hear Bohemian, you just think of like a poet. Yeah, but no, like Bohemians are basically another sect of cult. Yeah. Like that, when you hear Bohemian and you think of a poet person like that's a very misconstrued yeah it's kind of like a weird it's part of that society it's a society uh, that i mean it's around that area where he's at in california yeah so yeah we, they we worship moloch yeah canaanite deity uh-huh uh science fiction writer and u.s navy officer l ron hubbard soon moved into the parsonage he and parsons became close friends parson wrote to Crowley that although Hubbard had no formal training in magic with a K, butt fucking, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. From some of his experience, I deduce he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He is the most thelemic person I have ever met and is in complete accord with our own principles. Bitch, what? Yeah. Now, 
I don't have five hours in this particular podcast to talk about L. Ron Hubbard. Um, number one con man of all time. Wrote the most fucking... Uh, Science fiction books. Ever. Still. Yeah. Holds the title. Uh, but he was a notorious liar. I mean, he, from a young age, said that he did shit like fight in African fucking crusades against yeah. pirates and shit as like a 12-year-old. Yeah. I mean, the guy has lied since ever since. Embellishes everything. So what I'm saying is that he lied, you know, yeah. and and fucking Jack Parsons is a sucker and continues to be a sucker. Yeah. Uh, Parsons and Sarah were in an open relationship encouraged by the OTO's polyandrous sexual ethics. She became enamored with Hubbard. Parsons, despite attempting to repress his passions, became intensely jealous, which is not a good trait of the OTO. If you're having open relationships, I mean, the whole idea is you're supposed to be transcending your human feelings, which jealousy is a big one. Yeah. Motivated to find a new partner through occult means, Parsons began to devote his energies to conducting black magic, causing concern among fellow OTO members who believed that it was invoking troublesome spirits into the parsonage. Jane Wolfe wrote to Crowley that our own Jack is enamored with witchcraft, the Humfort, voodoo. From the start, he always wanted to evoke something, no matter what. I am inclined to think, as long as he has, he's gotten a result. He told residents that he was imbuing statues in the house with a magical energy in order to sell them to fellow occultists. Parsons reported paranormal events in the house resulting from the rituals, including poltergeist activity, sightings of orbs and ghostly apparitions, alchemical effect on the weather, and disembodied voices. Pendle suggested that Parsons was particularly susceptible to these interpretations and attributed the voices to a prank by Hubbard and Sarah, which is fucking hilarious. Uh, so he was trying to invoke some shit, and L. Ron Hubbard is like, Jack. Oh, man. Hey, Jack. Remember when I, where I fucking got... I'm fucking Sarah. Remember whenever I got un-fucking straight edge and got drunk at your house and was like, I've been talking to a spirit named Michael. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Yo. I, it was hilarious, but then you were, like, serious about it. I was super drunk, too, man. Yeah, you were like... I was, like, laughing, and I was like, man, shut the fuck up. And then you were like, I'm serious. And I was like, this is the dumbest <laughs> fucking shit I've ever heard in my life. I'm in your laundry room crying. <laughs> yeah, but then you started crying and yeah, shit. Yeah, man. And I was and like, he's like, coming. It's Michael. And then it was like, <laughs> Michael Jackson died like two weeks before that <laughs> oh man I forgot all about that shit and then you're like I saw a dark figure outside and then my ex-girlfriend was like I saw it too oh my god dude <laughs> I got so fucking ripped <laughs> thanks Casey Jones <laughs> you got drunk enough to believe the goddamn devil dude that is hilarious to me uh, yeah it's also so funny that like, they fucking pranked a stupid ass one ritual allegedly brought screaming banshees to the windows of the parsonage, an incident that disturbed Foreman for the rest of his life. In December 1945, Parsons began a series of rituals based on Enochian magic. Is that how you say it? Enochian. Enochian magic. Look at you, you fucking dork. Yeah. During which he masturbated onto magical tablets accompanied by Sergei... 
Prokofiev's Second Violin Concerto. Describing this magical act operation as the Babylon working, he hopes to bring about the incarnation of Thelemite goddess Babylon, but it's spelled weird, onto Earth. He allowed Hubbard to take part in as his scribe, believing that he was particularly sensitive to detecting magical phenomena. As described by Richard Metzger, Parsons jerked off in the name of spiritual advancement while Hubbard scanned the astral plane for signs and visions. I've done that. What? I did that at church, dog. We done talked about angels. <laughs> yeah, he talks to angels. Oh, yeah. oh when it comes. My, my dick's like a fucking Dixie cup, fucking walkie-talkie, man, from spirits. <laughs> you mean like when you put the string to the Dixie cups and then pull it down? <laughs> you're going to hang that old boy down. <laughs> you're fucking hanging up from the treehouse, you got to talk to me. Hello? Hey, I'm coming in this cow. Oh, my man. fucking guardian sounds like Axl Rose. Dude, I have hated that band, the Black Crows. Ugh. The first time I heard that fucking song, I was like, man, what the fuck? Is it, yeah, she gonna smile when the pain comes. But it was like made in the 90s, yeah. man. Fuck that. That shit sucks. It's the worst. I remember hearing that and being like, what is this horse shit? She been in my thing, let me let you can no cool. Mama, I'm sure all the mess up now. Hit that meow. Hey, meow. I have no idea what he says. That sounds like a cosplayer. Okay, hey, meow. Yeah, he's doing a fucking uh, ceremony, dude. If I was a porn star, my name would be Axel Toes because I suck feet. <laughs> Man, I, I fucking hate you too. I hate you as much as the black girls. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you're right. I'm coming for you. <laughs> Please don't. I'm gonna suck your feet. <laughs> I'm gonna crack over that hatch here, you fucking scion, and suck your toes. <laughs> Man, you're freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jack you up. Uh, too. <laughs> Stop. Balls. <laughs> <laughs> Slap it against your gooch while you get your toe sucked. Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop, man. Stop, stop. You're killing me. I can't do it, man. Oh. Their, fi <laughs> Their final ritual took place in the Mojave Desert late February 1946, during which Parsons abruptly decided that this undertaking was complete. On returning to the Parsonage, he discovered that Marjorie Cameron, an unemployed illustrator and former Navy wave, had come to visit, believing her to be the elemental woman and manifestation of Babylon that he had invoked. In early March, Parsons began performing sex magic rituals with Cameron, who acted as his scarlet woman, while Hubbard continued to participate as the amanuensis? I don't know. All right. Unlike the, well, I can just see what it is. Uh, and amanuensis is a person employed to write or type what another dictates or to copy what has been written by another, and also refers to a person who signs a document on behalf of the latter's authority. Oh, okay. So he's just basically fucking writing down what happens. Mm. Unlike the rest of the household, Cameron knew nothing... Sorry. Knew nothing at first of Parsons' magical intentions. She said she did not know anything about the OTO, I did not know that they had invoked me. I didn't know anything, but the whole house knew it. 
Everyone was watching to see what was going on. Despite this ignorance and her skepticism about Parsons' magic, Cameron reported her sighting of a UFO to Parsons who secretly recorded the sighting as a materialization of Babylon. Inspired by Crowley's novel Moonchild, Parsons and Hubbard aimed to magically fertilize a magical child through immaculate conception. Okay. (laughs) Which, when born to a woman somewhere on Earth, nine months following the working's completion, would become the Thelemic Messiah embodying Babylon. To quote Metzger, the purpose of the Babylon working was a daring attempt to shatter the boundaries of space and time. Yo, you ever seen those videos on the Moonchild Skulls? Yes. Man, there's like a theory, you know, it's somewhere, I don't know if it's in Africa or somewhere, but there's like a tribe where they like put these things around their head yeah. as they're growing to make them look like moon children. Yeah, weird. That's tight. But they were just growing kids. Yeah. Cone head. <laughs> just weird shaped heads from fucking real tight vaginas. Uh, so they were trying to shatter the boundaries of space and time. Facilitating, according to Parsons, the emergence of Thelema's Aeon of Oris. When Cameron departed for a trip to New York, Parsons retreated to the desert, where he believed that a preternatural entity psychologically provided him with Libra 49, which represented a fourth part of Crowley's The Book of Law, the primary sacred text of Thelema, as well as part of a new sacred text he called The Book of Babylon, Crowley was bewildered and concerned by the endeavor, complaining to Germer of being fairly frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of these louts. Believing the Babylon working was accomplished, Parsons sold the parsonage to developers for $25,000 under the condition that he and Cameron could continue to live in the coach house, and he appointed Roy Leffingwell to the head of the Agape Lodge, which would now have to meet elsewhere for its rituals. What the fuck? You see, this is just bananas. But yeah. Uh, this is a multi-million dollar house. Mm-hmm. Gave it for $25,000. As long as he could keep stuffing this woman who he believed he had invoked for all eternity. Scarlet Woman. Got a scarlet magic woman. Man, what happened to Carlos Santana? Uh, dude, he's old as fuck. What's he doing? Remember he did yeah, that but shit with the old fucking... That's what I'm saying. Uh, that fucking collaborated... Matchbox 20. Yeah, there, uh, but it was like a bunch of like currently famous people that he that he had on his album. Yeah. But before that, dude, he was cool as fuck. Oh, yeah. Got a black magic woman. Have you ever listened to Typo's cover of that? Yeah. Of course I have. I I've heard it all. But that. also... Um. Yeah, when he, when he took like a bunch of fucking mescaline at Woodstock, mm-hmm. and fucking was just tripping the fuck out when they played, and thought that when he was playing guitar, he was wrestling with a snake. That's cool. So like when you see the videos of his face being all, it's just him thinking he's fucking taking the snake on. <laughs> That's just a traditional guitar solo face. He just made a backstory. You think so? To a solo. I don't know, man. They were tripping out. <laughs> I know, man. That shit is wild. Dude, people were doing drugs, man. <laughs> oh, man. In a fun I way. I love it, man. I'd love cool. to have a good yeah. time like that. You know what I'm saying? Muscular. Woo. Woo. Wow. Uh, Crowley. I'm sorry. So, you know, also my interpretation of why Crowley's pissed off about it is because, again, 
it's like Crowley has spent his entire life coming up with bullshit. Yeah. Just like, oh, I've done this, I've summoned this with this, and I've used these potions to create a portal into this to bring this forth and invoke this as this entity into this conglomeration. But because someone else is doing the same bullshit, he's pissed off about it. Yeah. Or he just saw the future and he was like, I'm bringing in some new age bullshit. And then Inya and the fucking Eurythmics are going to make albums in the future. And I have to live and suffer through this horse shit. Uh, This is where shit starts to get extra stupid. Parsons co-founded a company called Allied Enterprises with L. Ron Hubbard and Sarah, into which Parsons invested his life savings of $20,970, which again, at that time, is a ton of money. But also, for as much as he's made, is fucking stupid. Like, what this guy has given everything he has to this fucking Aleister Crowley. Yeah. Uh, Hubbard suggested that with this money, they travel to Miami to purchase three yachts, which they would then sail through the Panama Canal to the West Coast, where they could sell them for a profit. Parsons agreed, but many of his friends thought it was a bad idea. Hubbard had secretly requested permission from the U.S. Navy to sail to China, South and Central America, on a mission to collect writing material. His real plans were for a world cruise. Left flat broke by his defrauding, Parsons was incensed when he discovered that Hubbard and Sarah had left for Miami with $10,000 of the money. He suspected a scam, but was placated by a telephone call from Hubbard and agreed to remain business partners. What a dumb bitch. Yeah. When Who cares, though? Because he was fucking so much. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you're just steadily getting wet-dicked. Uh, when Crowley, in a telegram to Germer, dismissed Parsons as a weak fool and victim to Hubbard and Sarah's obvious confidence trick, Parsons changed his mind, flew to Miami, and placed a temporary injunction and restraining order on them. Upon tracking them down to a harbor in County Causeway, Parsons discovered that the couple had purchased three yachts as planned. They tried to flee aboard one, but hit a squall and were forced to return to port. Now, the hilarious part about this shit is like, <clears throat> I, I read this through some shit about L. Ron Hubbard. Uh... You know, Parsons goes to confront them, right? Yeah. And, oh, okay, so Parsons was convinced that he had brought them to shore through a lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram containing an astrological geometric invocation of Bartzabel, a vengeful spirit of Mars. That's why they crashed. Okay. Allied Enterprises was dissolved, and in a court settlement, Hubbard was made to promise to reimburse Parsons. Parsons was discouraged from taking further action by Sarah, who threatened to report him for statutory rape since their sexual relationship took place when she was under California's age of consent of 18. Parsons was ultimately compensated with only $2,900. Hubbard, already married to Margaret Grubb, bigamously married Sarah and went on to found Dianetics and, of course, fucking Scientology. But when they (laughs) met up, right? Yeah. So... He had taken Parsons' money and bought these fucking yachts. Yeah. So the yachts are Parsons. Uh, fucking Hubbard knows it. Uh, he gets them to, to to come out, meet him. And Hubbard is like, hang on one second, and like jumps in the boat and tries to take off. 
He's like, man, hold on. <laughs> he just tries to get out of there and then wrecks the goddamn yacht. I mean, this shit, like, it's bonkers, you man. can't write it. <laughs> it's just, you've been bamboozled by the number one bamboozler know, of all man, time. Okay, so they're always talking about Babylonian shit and the dude's doing a ritual inside of a goddamn pentagram and uh, all this shit, man. Does Zacharias Hitchens seem like a fucking kook? Uh yes, he's a coup. <laughs> I wonder if he was just new about this shit and yeah, was like, definitely. "Here, man, I'm going to go on this." You know, definitely. I've read all those books, and it's like, all of them. I read every single. I'm one sorry. No, I, I mean, like, I knew it was bullshit before I did it, but it was yeah. like, it's cool. It's, oh, the dude's yeah. I mean, a good you, bullshit artist, yeah, man. Exactly. I mean, if you look at that shit as fiction, it's still tight. Yeah, man. exactly. It's tight. tight. But then, I mean, like, dude, he had to have some knowledge of that shit, you know. Oh, all these Babylonian fucking occult shit, you know, where fucking aliens are coming down and fucking boning ladies and turning them into Nephilim. Yeah, so after Hubbard starts Scientology, and Scientology is sweeping the nation, which, goddamn, man, I don't, like, I feel bad for a lot of people in cults. But if you fall for Scientology, fuck you. Yeah. It, like, you're... I mean, all you have to do is look at the history of Elder. You better Robert. be careful, man. They'll send lawyers after us. Okay. They do that shit all the time. I don't give a fuck. Tom Cruise. That will get me way more attention. Not enough to fund that. What the fund what? What would I fight? I, would, I have no money. What are they going to do? Would they take my $100 that I use on shit from Patreon? Well, they'll take your fucking... Yes. Middle dude crusted up <laughs> yeah, Scion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I own that car. Yeah, they'll take it. Okay. All right. Well, whatever. Um, So after Scientology was in full swing, the Sunday Times published an article about Hubbard's involvement with the OTO and Parsons' occult activities in December of 1969. In response, again, like what you're saying, these guys are professionals. The Church of Scientology released an unsubstantiated press statement, statement which said that Hubbard had been sent as an undercover agent by the U.S. Navy to intercept and destroy Parsons' black magic cult and save Sarah from its influence. The church also stated that Robert A. Heinlein was the clandestine Navy operative who sent in Hubbard to undertake the operation. Returning to California, Parsons completed the sale of the Parsonage, which was then demolished and resigned from the OTO. He wrote in his letter to Crowley that he did not believe that as an autocratic organization, the OTO constitutes a true and pop and proper medium for the expression and attachment of Thelema. Which, you know, basically, you're telling the guy that fabricated the entire thing that he's wrong. What you're doing is going, oh, man, this guy's full of shit. He did this business model. I'm just going to steal it and fucking, I have these books to back it up. Yeah, Yeah. that's what he's doing. And you would think that that would be the end of the Jack Parsons story. No. No, fuck no. There's heaps more of bullshit to go. Yeah. And like I said, this is going to have to turn into a three-part. And trust me, like, it only gets fucking weirder from here. Yeah. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard is a very weird arc. I understand that because of who he is, but it gets fucking weirder because, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll just get into it next week. I mean, we got, we got demon shit coming up. Sweet. Uh, we got espionage charges coming up. Right. We've got actual espionage coming up. All right. Uh, a very mysterious death in the works. 
And we'll have to get to that next week. I'm on the edge of my seat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you guys have never, ever... I mean, we all know that taking a shit is a very pleasurable part of your day. It's one of the things that you enjoy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's that, it's that nice thing that happens whenever you have to take a shit and you're at work and you go, hey, I have to go to the bathroom. Do you mind helping me out while I do that? <laughs> and then you go to the bathroom and you take a shit. It's a good time. Yeah. If you have somebody close enough to you that will go to the bathroom with you, jump on the tank, sit down, and rub your shoulders. We're stepping things up here. You would do that for me. Absolutely. You would do that for me. Nah. Well, then I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> this is a give and take. All right, man. <laughs> and, and so and so, what I'm saying here is, is you guys, you know, that support this shit, you're the people jumping on the tank to massage us and let us know we're doing a good job. Yeah. You're helping us rest up. Yeah, thanks. To get back to work to do the things we need to do. Sure. The Kamaputra. Come on, man. <laughs> it's a real book. And what? That's a real position. Okay. There's a lot of things in that book. Did you buy that? I've read it. I borrowed it. I'm not going to buy it. I can't buy shit. Where did you yeah, Where did you borrow the Karma Pooter from? I have a friend that uh, let me borrow it. All right, man. <laughs> you know, it's a good read. It's uh, It helps. Okay. You want somebody to massage your gooch if you're constipated to get it right out. Man, I was trying to tell you about that. You told me that, and I looked it up. It's a real thing. Yeah. You do it yourself, but yeah. I don't want to. You want someone else to do it. Yeah. You want someone to possibly touch your shit. I mean, if that's what happened. <laughs> Is there a dream catcher involved? Yeah. Do they like war paint themselves with <laughs> my turn? Maybe. I mean, what Buddy's trying to say is thank you for the support. I mean, uh, you know, I, I fucking hate to sound like we're whining bitches, but, you know, um, long story short, I work like three jobs. Buddy works two fucking jobs. Uh, we got kids. We got wives. Uh, every moment of our life is fucking filled to the brim. Brim. And uh, we bust it hard to try to make sure this shit's entertaining for you guys. So anything that you fucking help us with is tremendous. It makes every fucking agonizing evening of research worth it a million times over. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us in any way that you have and will. We love you for it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And uh, we'll wrap up Jack Parsons next week. And this shit is insane. It is. And it's real. Yeah. It's nuts. And uh, it's about to go to some, like, near war. Like, this motherfucker almost causes a war. So, we'll talk about that next week, guys, okay? Yeah. All right. Eat ass. Hail Satan. Nightbringer. Great band. Check out that. We're, we use the same song when we do series now. The Void. So, we're ripping Nightbringers The Void. Good. Man, the band's so good. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's fucking just real goddamn fast emperor. Yeah, I like that. It's good shit. Well, hell yeah. Uh... See you guys next week. Nah. Blah.